Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, episode number 66. Welcome to Positive Productivity Podcast, where we empower our audience to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success, especially in the face of adversity. Listen in as our guests reveal their stories of challenges and hurdles and how they overcame defeat and became triumphant in their endeavors. Let's get motivated and move forward with your host, Kim Sutton. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. I am so thrilled to have you here, and I'm also thrilled to have our guest today, Kristen Taylor. Who's hello. A- hello. <laughs> <laughs> Kristen is an essayist, writing instructor, and author of Shipwrecked in LA, and I am so thrilled you are here, Kristen. Thank you so much, Kim. It is an honor to be here. Would you mind giving a little bit about your background? I've already heard it. I loved your story, and we both know how inspired I was. But would you mind sharing about your background and how you got to where you are today? Sure. You you mean as a writer or? Oh, yeah. My questions are so vague, aren't they? Yeah, as a writer. (laughs) (laughs) No worries. Yeah, so I kind of came to it unexpectedly. I had always loved writing as a kid, but then sort of went away from it, you know, in high school. And then I got big sparkly eyes set on the film industry when I was a teenager and really believed that's where I wanted to be, where I wanted to work. So I went into university as a film major. But then my sophomore year, I decided, you know, I think I might take a creative writing class just for fun for one of my electives. And I just, that burst sort of like a lifelong love for me of writing. However, I was still determined that I was going to work in the film industry. So I just added it as a second major. So I graduated as a film and writing major. And then right after I graduated, my husband and I moved out to Los Angeles and it then then commenced sort of like a five-year adventure, ended up being seven years total, but a five-year adventure of trying to work in the film industry, eventually getting into the film industry, but then realizing it's not really what I wanted to do, and then leaving. And in that whole time, I got my, I knew I wanted to do something more with writing. So I got my master's of fine arts and creative writing from Antioch University of Los Angeles. And right about the time I came to graduate, I just realized, you know, I'm not I'm not cut out for the film industry. I really don't enjoy this work. So I quit that. And then fall of 2006 started teaching. And so I have been teaching writing at different colleges and universities for the last 10 years. I also run my own online writing workshops. I do a lot of sort of personal coaching and editing. I'm the editor for um, one of my passion projects is the Ansley Writers Forum, which is an online women's publication dedicated to elevating women's voices in the spiritual conversation. Um, we have about a, a group of 60 to 70 women that write for us. So yeah, that's that's what I do now. I, I teach writing and I'm a writer and I love it. I love your whole story. And I have to ask, if you could go back and tell your younger self to pursue writing instead of film, would you? Or do you think you would let yourself continue on the same path that you uh-huh. went on? Oh, that is such a good question. And I have gone back there many times and thought about that. And and ultimately, the answer is no, I wouldn't. Because I feel like my husband and I really, that adventure right out of college shaped us and who we are. We have so many great stories from that time. There was, it was such 
uh, a rich sort of dynamic season of our lives that I know made us who we are today and sort of set us on the course we're on. And I don't think I would trade that for anything, even though it did sort of set back my professional career as a, as an academic, but yeah, it, I think, yeah, ultimately the story is so rich and so fulfilling that I would let it be what it is. <laughs> it's funny when I think about it, I wanted to be an architect in outer space. I, I don't know where <laughs> I came up with that one, but I, I could barely make it through any science class. So I know I definitely wouldn't go back, but I did get my degree in interior architecture. However, if I knew that I would be in marketing now, I really couldn't go back and tell myself to do it differently because marketing as we know it didn't exist when I went through college. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. yeah, everything for a reason. Mm -hmm. The journey that you went through, though, that ended up really contributing to you shipwrecked mm -hmm. in L.A., though, right? Yeah, that became my first book. I, I felt like it was a story worth telling. And I thought, you know, I I think this is a good story. It's interesting. You know, it's got a lot of conflict and tension and drama, but also a lot of joy in it too. And so I knew I wanted to write it. At that same time, I was starting to work on the manuscript. My husband went back to graduate school and he studied um, college counseling and student development. He's in student affairs now. And he came to me over the course of his first semester and he said, you know what, Kristen, I'm reading about all these young adult identity development theorists. And I think they're like, they are talking about what you and I have experienced as young adults. So there was one in particular by the name of Marsha Baxter McGolda, who sort of talked about the different social and economic changes that young adults are facing and how it was very different than 20 years ago. And it's sort of creating these new um, identity these new obstacles for young adults that are sort of causing us to come to our adult years in different ways. And as I read about, there was another one too, Sharon Delos Parks wrote about shipwrecked, how young adults shipwreck in their identity and then sort of put their identity back together again. And I was like, oh my goodness, that is exactly what I've gone through and Dwayne has gone through. And I could just sort of go down the list and like name friend after friend after friend who we'd all graduated within two or three years of each other. And we're hitting those same developmental milestones together. And so that created really the background and the research that I wrote my narrative on. So Shipwrecked in L.A. is, it's, it's a memoir, it's narrative. It's a memoir of five years. It's my story. Um, but sort of the spine of it is this young adult identity research. And my hope was that people would read it, young adults would read it, and adults, parents of young adults would read it and have sort of a language and a structure to sort of, to name what, they were going through. That's, I, I love the whole concept and everything ab about your narrative. And I'm thinking about my own children. Now we have my husband and I, we have a total of seven and the oldest is about to graduate high school this year. Mm. And I see my parents encouraged m my siblings and I to do whatever made us happy. However, mm. we, I know in my case, I was trying to do something that was glamorous, sort of mm. like, you in the film industry and I wasn't really thinking about whether or not I would be happy about it and I think I sort of wound up well I know I wound up in the same type of situation mm. while it was glamorous and interior design industry was not what I was expecting mm -hmm. I think part of it was because I wasn't so much into the material material mm -hmm. materialism that went into everything associated with it mm -hmm. but in how would you recommend speaking to our children 
about choosing their goals and their life path and what they want to do? Yeah, I think it, well, it, it requires a different kind of partnership, I think, than in the past um, with young adult children. And and I think the trick, and I don't know, I mean, I have a nine-year-old and a five-year-old, so it's easy for me to talk about it like abstractly. I'm sure when my kids get to be young adults, they'll probably face a totally different set of circumstances and I will just freak out and feel lost. But um, I think it, when I when I watch parents who seem to have been most successful with this, they've managed to navigate that transition from being an authority in their kids' lives to being an influence in their kids' lives as young adults. And I think that's a really hard transition to make. It's a scary transition to make because you really are letting go of control, but it's a natural transition that needs to happen. And I think it's all rooted in relationship, right? Like it ultimately comes down to the strength of the personal relationship you have with your children. And I really love how Marsha Baxter-Magolda talks about it. She has this image of like a tandem bicycle and she says, when kids are kids and adolescents and teenagers, they're on the back of the bicycle and we're on the front of the bicycle and we're sort of steering the bicycle and we really are dictating the choices they're making in some respects, the ways that they're spending their time, what they're engaged in, where they're going, what they're doing with their lives. But then when they become 18 and go off to college and become young adults, it's time for us to get off the bike and switch places with them. They get to sit in the front seat and now we sit in the back seat and we are adding forward motion to where they're going. We're supporting them that way, but we're also helping them reflect on the choices they're making and helping them ideally have a stronger sense of an internal voice that's leading them and helping them make those decisions. We're no longer the external voice sort of helping them make those decisions, but we're hopefully helping them develop that internal voice that helps them make decisions wisely uh, rather than always having to rely on people outside them to help them know what to do. So that's how she talks about it. We'll see how it goes for me. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I'm sitting over here juggling a little bit. Oh my gosh, I never say chuckling except for when I'm on podcasts. It's so embarrassing. It's just not my word. But um, <laughs> our daughter who's graduating this year, she actually decided she wanted to be a tattoo artist. Uh-huh. Okay. And so she is apprenticing. She's 17 and apprenticing as a tattoo artist right now. Mm-hmm. And in order to support her, we have each sacrificed a piece of skin. <laughs> to- <laughs> <laughs> we already had tattoos, but yes, we each have a t- Oh, my husband has a, a, at least two from her mm-hmm. with goals for more. But yeah, um, yeah, but, you know, you can it's, invest it's, in college or you can invest in a tattoo apprenticeship. So. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. I, all parents, I wouldn't recommend it's necessarily for everybody, but uh-huh. yeah. yeah. She's following her dreams and she's making her mark, let me say. I mean, how yeah, often have you heard of 17-year-old tattoo artists? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So you, I remember hearing that you you wrote Shipwrecked in L.A. before, mm-hmm. during, and after having children? Yes. Yes. It's, I did. It's so inspiring to me because I personally have five and I'm trying to write a book. So I would love to hear more about that journey. What advice you have for anybody who is trying to write a book? Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, first of all, each writer's practice is going to look different from the other and each person functions on a different rhythm than another. And I think we just need to put that out and understand that's how it works. Because I think often 
for me, I always had the voice. Of, and I studied writing at my master's of fine arts uh, when I was 26 in writing and I read lots of writers and there are a lot of published writers that talk about having, you know, daily writing practices. And that I think is really beautiful. And there's a lot of truth to that. If you just exercise that muscle every day, it will inevitably grow and you will get better and better and better. But I think that looks different for, especially for moms of young kids. And I, I think we just have to give ourselves grace for that. Uh, life is a part of the, our writing practice. And the truth is I can't just go sit in a room by myself for eight hours a day and write. I need to live life. I need to be engaged in my kids' lives. I need to be filling up that creative tank in order to then turn around and write. So one of my one of my good friends, her name is Gwen Jackson. She's just finished a book and has sold it to uh, Wesleyan Publishing House, and it's going to get published in the next year. But she talks about life rhythms and how each of us has sort of a different rhythm. Some people are daily, some people are weekly, monthly, and some people are seasonal. And that depending on your rhythm, you're going to approach tasks and things different ways. And she sort of talks about how to maximize that rhythm. And I am a seasonal person. I, I run on seasons and often people who run on seasons have sort of like banners for the season or like a one focus word for the season that gets them through. So for me, when I'm right, cause I still, I've written, I, re- I wrote uh, two books, Shipwrecked in LA, and then sort of a sequel to that book. And now I've written I'm working on a third manuscript that I've been writing for these last two years and all, you know, so my kids have been growing up all during that time and I've been sort of managing life at home with them and teaching and writing. Um, and for me, it really is. So, you know, like every book has come about differently, but this, for this third manuscript that I wrote last fall or two falls ago, the kids were in school. We just moved to Canada. I was going through the immigration process, so I couldn't work right out of the gate. So I had the fall at home um, while the kids were at school. And I decided this fall, I'm going to write every single day. And I did. And I generated the first 50,000 words of this third manuscript, but I couldn't keep that pace up. And so I knew that was just for that season, it would be a daily writing practice. And then for the next season, the writing practice was going to be different. And I was going to shift into another gear. So yeah, I say all that to say, first, I think we need to identify what kind of rhythm do we naturally fall into and then really play to the strengths of that rhythm when it comes to our writing. Secondly, I, I got my MFA in 2006. Noelle was born in 2007. I started working on that first book right out of grad school. And I was pregnant with Noelle. And I remember thinking, how am I ever going to get any writing done when I have kids? I was really terrified. But you know what, Kim, what ended up happening, which is just so ironic, is I actually did more writing once Noelle was born. And this is why, because suddenly my days became structured and suddenly I had to manage my time better. And so after that initial, like the first 10 months was sort of a blur of sleep and trying to get everything, you know, in place and recovering. Once that happened and she was sort of in a regular napping routine, I just knew Every day at nine o'clock when she took her nap, I would sit down and write. And I didn't have the luxury of waiting to feel inspired. I didn't have the luxury of, of sort of easing my way into it. I just had to, as soon as she went, to, it didn't matter how I felt. As soon as I laid her down for the nap, I would turn around and go to my computer and I would write for about 45 minutes. And I wouldn't edit as I went. I just got it all out on paper. So that was, again, another season of the napping season. As the kids grew and think, you know, they stopped taking naps 
then I started writing at bedtimes when they would go to bed. And then there was a season when I decided I really needed to push and like get things done on the manuscript. I got up early, which was really hard to do. And I don't recommend doing it for young moms. You need your sleep. But I got up early for a span of two or three months and wrote, and then that was done. So I think what motherhood and writing has taught me is you can't wait to be inspired. You really have to just dive in and commit to doing it, but also be gracious with yourself and know that there are some seasons when it's just not going to happen. So for example, summer months are really hard for me to write actually because the kids are home with me all day. And I don't have that same sort of brain space to give to writing in the summer. You would think in the summer, oh, not working, not teaching, I would have more time to write. But in actuality, my creative juices are depleted because I'm giving so much to the kids, keeping them entertained, we're running, we're doing things, and nonstop chatter talking, you know, <laughs> mommy, I need this, I need that, you know, so I don't have the same sort of brain space to, to, to give to my writing. So I just know that summer months are a quiet month, I may get one essay or one article written, but that's okay, I give myself that permission to have that break. And then I know in the fall and the spring, when the kids go back to school, I'm going to amp it up and try to get more work done. Can I call my season sports season. Hey, Siri, open up my Google Drive and start (laughs) dictating for me. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Driving down the road. Oh, did you hear that? Yes, she did respond. (laughs) That was not intentional. (laughs) I put her on silent, but I guess she's still good about responding to me. Yeah. (laughs) So you do, your practice is to sit down at your computer. Is there any other way that, and I know everybody's writing style is different, Mm -hmm. but is that the best way for you to write? Um, Well, again, it depends on where I'm at in a project. If if I'm in the generating stages of a project with a book, um, part of my writing practice is reading. So for this third manuscript, there were a lot of great books that I knew were going to inform my reflections, not necessarily be researched, but we're just going to start shaping my reflections on my experiences. And so part of my writing practice was dedicating like, okay, I'm going to sit down for a little bit and be reading and trusting and knowing that the reading was going to be fruitful and turn into some good writing later, even though I wasn't actually sitting there writing at that time. I also, I like to have a place outside of the house to write so there's there's a couple places that for me are very fruitful and I know I can just go so they have lots of natural light good wi-fi and I know I can you know get a cup of coffee and go sit and and do some writing there and those tend to be better for me than if I'm at home sometimes so yeah that's what it looks like for me I'm so happy that you addressed that seasons aren't necessarily spring summer fall winter mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that it's a life season and not mm-hmm. A weather season. Well, yeah, and I think I think especially for women, we have to sort of like claim back the narrative of what a writing practice looks like because I think we can really get defeated if it doesn't look like what we think it should look like. And I think there's no wrong way, you know these these people who are writing professionally and and talking about every day at nine o'clock, I sit down and I write. That is beautiful and is absolutely fruitful and, and useful. But if you're a mother with young kids, nine o'clock is right when things start picking up and you need to be going to the park and having your kids run around and get their energy out. It's just not going to happen. I remember too, after I had written the first manuscript for the first book, I knew I was going to have to rewrite it again. <laughs> I had written the whole thing 
And then I went back and looked at it and was like, oh, and I had, I get, I had given it to one of my mentors and who's has a, you know, impeccable taste. And she read it and was like, well, the voice is sort of wrong and the chronology is wrong. And I was like, I've got to rewrite this whole thing from scratch. Um, and so that was my, my daughter, Noelle was three and I was pregnant with Nathan and we had put Noelle, I was, we had just moved to Bellingham, Washington and I wasn't working but we put decided to put Noelle in preschool for six hours a week. That's how much we could afford for her to be in preschool. And so I had one of my writing mentors live there who I loved. She just was a wonderful, wonderful writer. She's a single lady. And she had had me over for lunch with one day with Noelle. And I told her, you know, I've got to rewrite this book. And I have six hours a week to do it. Six hours of sort of regular scheduled time to do it. And she looked at me and said, well, I don't know how you're going to do it in six hours a week. And I was like, oh, just like a kick to the gut, you know. Meanwhile, she had taken me to upstairs. She had refurbished her, her attic and turned it into this beautiful meditation writing room with a desk. And she had like a yoga mat. And every day she would go up to her room and write. And I remember just feeling so defeated because I was like, oh, I don't have a meditation room like that. I can't give every day to writing. How am I ever going to rewrite this book? Well, I did. <laughs> I did it. I was on six hours a week and then at bedtimes and nap times. And um, I remember calling one of my good, good friends whose name is also Christ Kristen and who is a writer. And I was sort of like whining and fussing to her about, I don't, can't write this book on six hours a week. And she looked, she listened. And then she sort of kicked me in the butt and was like, Kristen, you have the time you have to write and you're going to be a better writer for it. And it sort of brought me up short and I was like, that's right. I have, I, I just need to take what I have and make the most of it. And you know what, Kim, I did it. I rewrote the book in a year, a little over a year on the time that I had and it, and now it is what it is. So, and I'm pretty proud of it given that season of my life and the age that I was at when I wrote it. So I have to ask how many books have you started and not completed or ditched? Mm. Is it, is it countable or uncountable? That is a good question because Oh goodness. I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I actually, um, each book idea I've had, I have, I have done, <laughs> but that's only been three. <laughs> and I, I, um, I haven't had like a surplus of book ideas. I have had a surplus of article and essay ideas that I've had like sort of kept a pipeline for. And so many of those are just sort of withered up and, and fallen by the wayside for sure. I've gone so far as to get book covers designed. Oh, yeah. Books I had started writing and are now somewhere buried in my documents folder or on Google Drive. It's comparable to my GoDaddy URLs that I've purchased. I've never done anything <laughs> with. Someday they may come to fruition, but that goes back to chronic idea disorder. I want to tone yeah. that down a little bit. Yeah. Well, and ideation, ideation, I don't know if you're familiar with the strength finders, ideation is actually one of my top, top five strengths. So I'm surprised that I haven't done more of that, honestly. But yeah, for whatever reason, the book ideas I've had, I've only had three and I have written those, but yeah, it's probably largely more my essay ideas and article ideas that I always have brewing at the back of my mind. And who knows if I'll actually get to that one or not. So you're driving down the road and you get an idea. How do you record it? Uh, on my phone. Yeah. 
I won't say her name again right now because I don't want her to input any more to the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I do. I pick it up and we'll just sort of do like a voice memo. I'd love to circle back around. Sorry, this is no segue whatsoever. Your film professors would not have been impressed at all. (laughs) I would love to circle back around to Ainsley Writers Forum and what Mm -hmm. it is all about and what you do there and and yeah. Yeah. So I'm the chief editor for the Ansley Writers Forum. As I said, we have about 60 to 70 women who write for us. And our whole goal is to elevate women's voices in the spiritual conversation. We know women have not always been equal members at the table when it comes to faith and church. And we luckily uh, come out of a faith tradition called the Wesleyan denomination, which is a part of the Methodist tradition that has always affirmed women as full members of the church and leadership and ministry. And so the Ansley Writers Forum is a sort of natural fruition of, of that heritage and wanting to really bring women to the table and give them voices in the spiritual conversation. Could you share more about what Wesleyan is? I mean, I am Christian, but I don't really understand, and I'm sure some of the listeners don't either. Mm-hmm. We're partnered with Wesleyan Publishing House, is sort of why I say that. But the Wesleyan denomination is sort of under the Methodist sort of movement. Oh, okay. And um, we have a really radical, awesome history in the late 1800s of abolition and women's rights. And um, that's sort of what we grew out of. That's how we sort of became who we are. The very first women's suffrage convention was held at a Wesleyan chapel and the first woman to ever be ordained in Christian sort of modern Christian history was through the Wesleyan denomination. It was a real short step. We were started as abolitionists, which is why we got kicked out of the Methodist church. Although the Methodist church came back around again because our founders were saying, no, you know, there should not be any slavery. There should be nothing that keeps people from serving God to their fullest potential. Um, And then it was a real short step to say, well, women have also been given the spirit as well, and they should have freedom to serve God. So anyway, we have this awesome radical sort of history. However, the Ainsley Writers Forum was birthed because in recent decades, our numbers do not match our radical history. And especially like the Wesleyan Publishing House is mostly publishing men. But we had like a woman general uh, secretary and things. And so we were sort of saying, how can we, it's not that there's a lack of talent in our movement. We have amazing, powerful, gifted women in our movement. But there's, as there so often is in leadership, there's sort of a breakdown of the pipeline that cultivates that talent and invests in it and mentors it and then delivers it to the the, the proper places. So um, I am- yeah, so I'm a writing professor. That's sort of my vocation, my day, you know, my day job. And so as well as being a writer. So that's sort of what I brought to the table was um, working with these women and investing in them and giving them the skills and tools they need to grow as writers and speakers, and then be able to turn around not only to the Wesleyans, but really to the to the whole world and say, do you need some women writers? Here they are. Do you need some women speakers? Here they are. They have been practiced. They've grown, they've exercised those muscles, and they're ready to step out and, yeah, and share. So that's really what the Ansley Writers Forum sort of was birthed out of. You don't have to be a Wesleyan to write for us. You don't have to be a Wesleyan to read for us. But it's it's sort of giving a nod to that initial radical heritage we have that allows us to be able to do the work we do now. So 
Wow. So considering there is a faith aspect of Ainsley Writers Forum, is that the sole focus of the writing or does it go a lot more beyond that? That is the central sort of lens that everyone writes through. Now we, we write about everything. We write about money and sex and beauty and I mean, all different kinds of things, but always through this lens of how do we as women of of faith who sort of have this other perspective on our lives interpret these things. And I'm so proud of our women writers. They write fearlessly. I, I love that we avoid cliche. I mean, I feel like there's so many Christian uh, women publications or, you know, things where I think it's easy to fall. I mean, especially when we talk about faith and spirituality, it is riddled with rhetoric and cliche. And we are not at the Ansley Writers Forum all about putting a pretty bow on things. However, we do want things to sort of be redemptive. But our women write about their struggles with infidelity and anorexia and divorce and all sorts of real life things that we deal with as women, but knowing that we're sort of rooted in the whole, the whole time rooted in a faith that, that gives us a sense of life and purpose. And so that is the perspective, but the topics are wide ranging. I love that on multiple aspects. Number one, that the writers are sharing their faith. And number two, that there's no holds barred. Is that the right expression? Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. It's all approachable and mm-hmm. um, even my spiritual journey has been interesting. I was raised Catholic and, and as soon as I left for college, I stopped going to church because I just really didn't understand. I, I think any listeners will mm-hmm. understand. I mean, and now I go to a Methodist church. There there couldn't be anything, any two <laughs> denominations that are so different. I mean, they're both rooted in Christ, but yeah, yeah. I mean, the service alone is just completely different. Oh, yeah. And I mean, even I didn't have a relationship, even though I was raised in the church and I did work at the church rectory. I didn't even know God until mm. until I was 30 and, and divorced. So, yeah. yeah. And I was even scared to talk about my faith in my business because I didn't want to offend anybody. Yeah. I didn't want to lose clients. And that was such a sad Hmm. experience you know being afraid to share who you are I mean that would be like being afraid to share that you're a woman or Mm -hmm. what race you are or or that you're even a mother you know some people don't even share the fact that they're a mother when they're talking to employers or prospective clients because they don't want to be cast aside yeah Mm -hmm. so I I love that it's all being addressed Mm -hmm. yeah so you're the chief editor at Ainsley Writers Forum what are you consistently looking for and what is the biggest focus for you all right now? The biggest focus for us is developing these women who write for us. So we're looking, so they do, they do have to have sort of like a formalized commitment to in writing for us, you know, a certain amount of times a year, a certain amount of times throughout the, the seasons. But really our focus is to develop these women who are writing for us. So we're not asking for women who are trained or who have a background, but if you have a heart for writing, if you feel like you have a story that God has put on your heart that needs to be shared, if you feel like this is something that is in your future, uh, then we're really here to help you. And again, it comes out of that that mission of we're elevating women's voices in the spiritual conversation. And we have seen the breakdown. I mean, we see it in leadership. We see it out in like sort of business and so many different places, the 
the sort of the ba- breakdown of the the um, pipeline that takes women, develops them, mentors them, and delivers them to the platforms where they belong. And so that's Ansley is trying to stand in that in between place and that gap and take these women who have the talent and have the giftings and the vision and offer them the sort of substance and resources and support they need to deliver them to the platforms where they belong. So that's really, that's our heart and that's our focus. When we talked a little bit pre-chat or pre-chat chat, mm-hmm. you mentioned that there's a subscription program for the mm-hmm. Is fans an appropriate word or readers? Can you sign up for fans? Yeah, read it and become fans. Yeah, so if you go to our website, which is in www.ainsleywriters.com, and we can maybe put it up in the notes, it's A N N E S L E Y writers.com. You can subscribe at the top of the page. It's a subscription to a mailing list, not to the actual website. So you don't get notifications every time articles go up, but once or twice a month, we send out like a, a web magazine. We deliver sort of a magazine to your inbox that is a, is a culmination of the articles that have been published to that point on the website. So you can sort of skim through and read the ones you want to read and share, share the ones you want to share. Oh, yeah, definitely. Listeners. I forgot to mention this before. I'm sorry, but all the show notes will be at thecamsutton.com forward slash PP 066 for episode 66. Kristen, where can listeners find you and connect with you online? Um, at my website, which is kristentaylor.com. Uh, drop me a line. Kristen, I just want to thank you so much again for being here today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Do you have any last words of advice or wisdom or inspiration that you would love to share with listeners? Oh, thank you for having me. I love, um, love talking to you and love um, talking about writing for sure. Um, advice. I think my, my biggest piece of advice to anyone who's interested in writing is to understand that all of us have an internal critic that is sitting on our shoulder And for whatever reason, we don't know why this internal critic exists. That internal critic is there to shut down our creative process. The thing that is tricky is the internal critic sounds like us, or they sound like a teacher from our past or a friend from our past or a family member from our past who's read and said, who do you think you are that you're going to be a writer or, oh, you're not really that good or um, you're just a wannabe, right? And we can often just not even notice that that critic is there sabotaging our creative process. So my one piece of advice would be identify that critic, kick it off your shoulder and let yourself just create without evaluating what you're creating, without judging it. Just let yourself write I guarantee once you do that, you'll turn around a few days later, look at it and surprise yourself. Hey there, this is Kim Sutton, host of the Positive Productivity Podcast. And I just want to take a quick moment to thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it and were inspired, I would love to hear your feedback. Please take a moment or two and visit the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or on my website at thekimsutton.com to leave your rating or review. I'd also like to invite you to join the Positive Productivity Book Club and to find out more about my coaching packages by visiting thekimsutton.com. Until the next episode, I hope you have a positive and productive day.